part of the trick is being skillful to understand the needs on both sides, both work and family, and then to actually be maybe a bit more dynamic about moving things around and not having a cookie cutter life every day, every week, every year, that's the same. Having moderation with moderation, as it were, you know, like having really intense work times and really joyful family times where you really make those memories kind of on both sides. Welcome to Startup Dad, the podcast where we dive deep into the lives of dads who are also leaders in the world of startups and business. I'm your host, Adam Fishman, and in today's episode, I sat down with Darius Contractor, currently the Chief Growth Officer at Otter AI. Darius has also been an engineering and growth leader at some amazing companies, Dropbox, Facebook, Airtable, Vendor, and now Otter. In addition to that, he was one of the earliest growth practitioners on the internet. What an accomplishment. Darius and I talk about growing up in Silicon Valley, the journey of having two young kids during the pandemic, and watching your kids experience something for the first time. We also talked about the philosophy of quality versus quantity time with your kids, perspective that I can really appreciate. I had a great time chatting with Darius, and I'm sure you'll enjoy this episode. Darius, how are you doing today? Hey, Adam, doing great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Tell me a little bit more about your background. So you're a super successful guy, top of your game, investing in all these companies, leading companies. How'd you get to this point of your career? Well, you're being very generous with your superlatives. So early on, like in college and even before, like I really enjoyed programming. I really just like building things, but I was always a little bit more of a, let's say, end user programmer. I thought of myself as a packager who liked to use technical skills to like put something together that made something fun for users. So I was always a little more on the kind of product side of development. And so I got a CS degree in college and I ended up at Tickle where we did a lot of viral products where you build something and you'd invite your friends and it would grow like that. And I found I really enjoyed it and I really enjoyed the psychology of it. And over time, I found myself more and more in product roles and then growth roles. And so I've kind of grown that direction in my career with a little bit of engineering still. And then more recently, I've focus much more on investing and advising. I've been investing for almost 12 years now, but more recently I've been really excited about making that like my main thing. And it's just so much fun to talk to people, building new things, figuring out how to go to market, how to craft the product. It's really fun being at those early stages. That's cool. It sounds like you really like the help that you can provide and sort of getting those reps on helping companies build, which is awesome. So what about you as a kid? Where'd you grow up? Where are you from originally? What was your family like? Well, I didn't fall too far from the tree. So my parents actually met in a Stanford computer lab. And I grew up in Silicon Valley. My dad ended up being more on the finance side. He was a CPA, CFO kind of person. And my mom was actually an engineering manager at Lockheed Martin. And so she would actually run systems engineering teams of hardware, software. Growing up, I had played with like a lot of computer games. I remember this one game ages ago, Rocky's Boots which years later, I realized we're assembling and and or gates to make puzzles work that I played when I was six or something. So definitely I had CS in my veins from an early age. And it did give me a love of building things. I enjoyed playing with like Legos and building things with physical materials for a while. I almost thought I might become a mechanical engineer. I just really love building things with computers. It's more scalable. You can kind of revert very easily, all that stuff. And so I just used kind of building stuff here and there, got into calculator programming in high school, did a lot of bicycling. And so I raced bikes for a bit and that kind of like building with computers and biking kind of defined my childhood. Other than that, I wasn't 
you know, kind of crazy social or have a whole lot of other activities. But I also enjoyed yeah. running. I was part of the track team. Did either one of your parents steer you in this direction? Like your mom was an engineering leader, which you have gone on to be at various points in your career, but you're decently far from the finance world like your dad. So any kind of like push from them to do this? Well, my dad was a little entrepreneurial. He would work at startups oftentimes, and he started one or two of his own businesses. Nothing really took off, but he definitely had that kind of gene. And my grandfather actually was an inventor and invented a few things back in India and took them to market. So there's a little bit of that in my background, but not like the big startup kind of stuff that you see in the Valley. On my mom's side, she did always have like the latest computers. So we had an Amiga. We had like that, you know, traveling, that little Mac classic. We had a portable compact computer, which portable, like a carry-on bag is portable. So I had some like (laughs) computers in my life and my mom definitely like supplied me with like nerdy stuff. But I'm not sure that I felt like a really strong, like you have to be a CS major or you have to be a finance person. It was kind of like letting me find my own way. As long as it was finding my own way to something that seemed somewhat engineering year, you know, productive from their perspective. So there's a little bit of shepherding in there, but nothing too strong. Your parents wanted you to have a practical career, like one of theirs, but didn't have to be exactly the same. And I think it's awesome that they met at the Stanford computer lab and then they birthed a computer aficionado. So something rubbed off there, which is great. Talk a little bit about your family now. So you have a partner and I, I know you have a wife and you have two kids, right? Two pretty young kids. Tell me about them and tell me about how you met your wife. Yeah, so we just met through friends, like the old school way. My wife actually met a close friend on Facebook, and then they decided to come to one of his parties that I was at. And so I met just like in person there. And at the time, she was living in Sydney, but she was visiting San Francisco a lot. So we kept up and eventually realized that we could be really great for each other and started dating, moved in together, and you know, it's been the last 10 plus years. And then we decided to have a family about a little over four years ago or I guess over five years ago. And then, you know, our oldest now is about four and our youngest is two, four-year-old boy and two-year-old oh. daughter, Luca and Vera. Oh, My wife's well, Italian. And names. so we decided to go with like more italian names. And so, yeah, it's definitely a ride. I've always wanted to have kids. I always thought they are a lot of work, but there's a way in which you're signing up for this like higher highs and lower lows is kind of my theory on it. And that's been borne out. Like the highs are really joyous, especially when the two kids are playing with each other and laughing. It's so much fun, but it is also pretty constant. So it's been a really amazing journey with them. And, you know, it's a little bit easier now that they're growing up a little bit, but it's really busy. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Tell me about the decision to start a family. You said you've always wanted to have kids. Was that something that you and your wife talked about at the beginning? Was it a thing that you made sure you were on the same page on before you got married? Like, how does that conversation work with a partner? Or how did it work for you? Yeah, that's something that I'd always had firmly in my mind. And I think, you know, one of the reasons that Priscilla and I got together was because we were both more family-centric. Other people I dated were more anti-kids. Even then, it's not something that we made, I think, like a hard commit when we first got together. It was kind of like a, we're both interested and like, we'll talk about it and take it one day at a time. And we have, you know, we look at our lives, look where we want to go. And we kind of figure it out from there without too much of kind of an imaginary timeline in our heads. That being said, you know, we did have kids a little bit on the later side and there is only so much time on both our sides. You know, we're relatively close in age. And so, you know, there was some factors there, but overall, I think it's the kind of thing where you do your best estimate of what it's going to be like, and you kind of choose the happiest possible path. I always knew that having kids is a little bit of an undiscernible thing. It's like, 
people say it changed your life and takes all your time and all this stuff, but it's like, okay, but how intense it is? How does it compare to your job? Like, there's definitely some things that I think are pretty hard to know because even if someone tells you, it's hard to even like hear them correctly. You're like, oh, kids take up all your time. It's like, well, what does all mean? Is that like mm -hmm. 24 hours a day, like 16 hours a day, eight hours a day, you know, like, and what does it mean that you need help? Or what does it mean, you know, some of these things are hard to know until you do it. But I also always looked around and, you know, a lot of my friends that I really looked up to who I felt like were overall successful in life made the decision to have kids and got a lot of joy from it. And so those are some of the things that led us to the saying that, okay, this is the right thing for us as a couple, even, you know, at marriage, but also, you know, making that actual decision a ways in. That's great. And then your wife was a product manager, right? So you both kind of came up in yeah. technology and now she's a stay-at-home mom. Is that right? Yeah. We just found it like really busy. It's also true that both of our parents don't live in the Bay Area. And so it wasn't the case that we could just drop the kids at, you know, grandpa or grandma's house, you know, for a weekend, you know, once a month or something. So we, I think, had to focus in on our kids a little bit more. And frankly, my job has been very busy. And so it's nicer for the family and the kids if one of us is a bit more flexible. That's kind of how we've approached it. That being said, she really enjoyed being a PM. She used to be a PM at The Real Real, which is like a fashion marketplace, used luxury fashion marketplace. And she gets a lot of joy out of that kind of stuff. So you know, we'll actually invest together. We'll make kind of decisions as to, you know, what we want to help out. And that's a lot of fun for her as well as me. And so there are ways cool. in which she still has that kind of work itch to scratch. But, it, you know, especially with younger kids, I think that focus has been nice the last few years. Also, frankly, during the pandemic. I mean, that's had its own set of challenges that have made it a little bit easier to have one stay-at-home parent. What's it been like parenting during the pandemic? I mean, I assume things closed down and you can't yeah. leave the house for a while. And it's probably maddening. Well, definitely with one kid and no help, because, you know, we all had to stay home by ourselves. That was intense. And then we had our second kid during the pandemic. We actually got pregnant just before the pandemic started. Uh, and I was like, oh, maybe it'll be over by the time we have the kid. But like, no, it was, <laughs> we had like, no. you know, a full year with like a little baby during the pandemic. And so Eventually, you know, my parents did kind of come and help once we had the kid. And, you know, there are some things that, that got us through it. Like eventually the pandemic opened up enough that our nanny felt comfortable coming back and, and helping out. But it was pretty tight there for a while because you don't really want to like leave the house for the danger of getting sick, especially with my wife pregnant. And then we couldn't actually have help, you know, with the kid, you know, and her mom actually couldn't visit because she was in Italy and, you know, there was just a blanket ban on international travel. So there was definitely yeah. a bunch of constraints in the pandemic that it's one of the only times in my life where I've just said, like, this is tough. We're just going to get through it. Like, this is not going to be the most enjoyable two years or one year or however long it's going to be of our lives, but we're going to get through it. We're going to find some joy in it and it's going to be a lot better after. And that's kind of a little bit where I'm going to focus my mind. I usually try to be much more present, but it was one of those times where I'm just like, you know what? This is one of those times we're just going to get through. That being said, it was a good time to stay at home with your kids. No one yeah. was having parties. No one was going out. No one was doing trips. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, the work from home thing, I have to say, one of the real joys of working from home was having a half hour break between meetings, being a little bit kind of, you know, exhausted, you know, in the afternoon with a full day, especially working with the East Coast a bunch and just being able to go make a little 15 minute play date with your like three month old and mm -hmm. enjoy that, you know, kind of cradler, throw up in the air have those baby giggles and then get right back to your next meeting in the other room. Yeah. 
that also was a bit magic, I have to say. That was like yeah. an unplanned joy of working from home. No, that's awesome, especially with the three-month-old. I had the opposite experience, which is like my kids pounding on the bedroom door. Dad, when are you coming out? Like, I'm on the phone. <laughs> a little different based on the age, but that's pretty, that's pretty amazing that you got to spend that time with your three-month-old. We all made fun of that. There was some like BBC commentator or something who was doing the interview right, and his kid like wandered in the room, and his wife came and grabbed the kid. And I think yes. it's funny that we were all kind of like a little bit laughing at that scenario that like, oh, the kid's invading the work from home scenario. And then literally the entire world or like, like all parents are now mostly in that scenario like every week, yep. of like the kid possibly wandering in. So it became yep. a thing for all of us. So tell me about, you've probably had a lot of early memories of becoming a father. At least you probably still remember a lot of them because your kids aren't that old. But tell me about like your earliest memories of becoming a dad. Yeah, I mean, earliest is, you know, Priscilla and I were on a trip and then we made the, you know, the final slash fateful decision to go for it. And that was just really exciting. Like just knowing that we were entering this kind of next level relationship. We weren't just boyfriend and girlfriend who were married. We were like actually going to like make people, which is like a much bigger commitment in my mind than just being married. It's a longer commitment. It's a more hours commitment. And so that was really exciting. And also kind of like a, there was a little bit of a, a big like life check marks for me. I was like, oh my gosh, being a father, like. It's a whole nother kind of chapter. And so earliest memories from actually being a father was just having the baby in my hands, you know, right after the birth itself and just sitting there. And it was funny. I was like talking to him, like Luca and being like, okay, like you're on, you know, kind of planet earth and, you know, you're in America and like, you've made some good decisions on where to be born already, you know, <laughs> just kind of thinking it's almost an alien being like first time existing in the world independently, obviously. You know, he's been in the world for months, but it was just really interesting. And, you know, thinking about the fact that, you know, he wasn't born yesterday, he was born today. And, you know, the surreality of, you know, all of our birthdays are these kind of barely remembered, almost imaginary times in the past, right? Like our birthdays are, you know, only slightly more present than the war of 1812 or some other historical event that we weren't really conscious for. And, you know, knowing that I, as a very important being was conscious for this person's first day. It's just incredible. And then it's amazing how much those early times, maybe not the first day, but the first few months really show a lot of the personality he still is today. I still remember, you know, in his first six months when he'd smile and be joyous, it just lit up the whole room. Like his just yeah, smile yeah. is like so full of life and still it's that way for him today. He's like our first you know, kid, our son is like maybe the more emotional one. And he just gets like so happy and sad. Even from those early days, it was like that same way. And so it was you know, really great moments. I feel like a lot of dads that I've talked to have a little bit of like a freak out moment when they're like holding their kid and they're like, okay, this is a real thing now. Did you ever have a freak out moment, you know, right after he was born or anything like that where you're like, oh, right, this is a human being now. I got the next 18 years of my life are going to be pretty busy. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure that I had that moment. Maybe I mentally was already signed up for it, or maybe I, I just slowly came to terms with it in a full way. I think yeah. maybe a combination of that. Like at a high level, I was like, I'm going to be a dad and it's going to happen and I'm, I want that to happen. And maybe on another level, I was not fully connected to like, okay, what are the trade-offs every day, every moment? I just had this kind of abiding sense that like, look, if like whatever, a quarter, half the world can end up being a parent, like I could be a parent too. Like, yeah. I still remember when I learned to drive, I had a lot of trepidation about that. I'm like, am I going to be a bad driver? Am I going to get an accident? 
But then I was like, Darius, literally like 90% of Americans or whatever it is, have a driver's license. Like if yeah. they can handle it, you can probably handle it too. And just kind of that overriding, like almost existential abiding hope. Like I kind of mm. took to parenting as well. It's like, I can probably do this like good enough. So I didn't really That's have great. that immediate moment, but, or oh, maybe because of that, like kind of vague hopefulness, there have been moments since then where I'm like, oh boy, this kid is like always here and always needing love and always needing, yeah. you know, every meal I have to like prepare and, you know, feed this kid. And it's a lot. My wife does a tremendous amount, but maybe over the following months and years, like maybe I got more serious about like, this is a lot. And, you know, not having family in the immediate area, like it's also one of those things where I'm like, okay, there's not as much of a release valve maybe as like some other people have. And a lot of people don't have that to be clear, but you know, depending yeah. on what your personal situation is, it can be like a different like life, you know, experience. Yeah. We have a, a tiny amount of family nearby, but not a huge set of grandparents or anything like that. And so I'm always jealous of the family who's like, oh, you're going out of town for five days. Oh, grandma, grandpa are here. That's nice. I wish I had that. I should at this point give credit. My parents do like come to town and actually help out for weekends. Oh, that's here good. And there. And my, my mother-in-law is in town for like two and a half months a year because he just comes from the, the holidays. So it's not that we don't nice. have grandparents around. It's just not like on the spur of the moment as, as much. But we are very lucky compared to a lot of families. What are some of the most surprising things you discovered as a dad? You mentioned this idea of it's always on, right? Like you can't just be like, bye, kid. I'm turning this off now. Go over there for a little bit. Give dad a break. So yeah, tell me a little bit about things that were surprising to you when you became a parent. Yeah, I guess it's not so much that I want to turn it off. It did like, I thought there would be a little more kind of like, let's say independent play, like where like, mm -hmm. okay, once the kid is like, you know, a year old, maybe you sit them down with their toys and they play on their own while you do something else. And I think that can be true at times, but you know, at least we found with our first one, it's like a pretty intense interaction, like a lot of the time for them to feel okay. It's interesting now that he's a little older and even for the younger one, I think maybe one and a half, two, it really starts there's a way in which they really do want to be part of your just kind of normal day-to-day -day life. Like, mm -hmm. you know, when they're at home, they might want to play with you. But if you're out shopping or taking care of an errand, they want to help with that errand. They want to participate and they kind of learn how to be an adult, right? That's kind of their job in, in so far as they have one. So there's a way in which I think it took me a little while as a father to learn kind of what my kid needs and how that integrates with my day-to-day -day life. Like they don't necessarily need you to be exclusively focused on their experience all the time. They do need you to be exclusively focused on their experience and their feelings some portion of the time. And I think they do really want to be involved in like the family life and kind of designing a family life that maybe is at their level, you know, like cooking and including them in such a way and, you know, figure out what parts of life they can't be involved in yet, you know, and making sure that they have something to do while you have to do those things. Really kind of getting that cadence down was something that did take me a little while. I feel in some ways a little bit like being a PM, like there's a time to plan, there's a time to work, there's things you do independently, there's things you do together. And that can be hard at first because it feels like they're all overlapping and you have to do them all at the same time. But like eventually you kind of figure out this cadence of what the people around you need. And that made it a lot easier for me. So I guess the surprising thing to answer your question more directly was, you know, that there is this kind of cadence of connection and then kind of like loose like being together and then kind of like your own time that I really, you know, to serve everyone's needs in the right way, you really have to kind of get the right balance. And another thing that was maybe surprising, but also expected was that there'd be joyous and sad moments, of course, 
And I was hoping that the joyous moments would be some of the best joyous moments of my life and probably better than just not having kids and just, I don't know, having fun on my own or as a couple, you know, which we'd done before. But I felt like, you know what, maybe having kids, like there's going to be special joyous moments. And I do think that there were incredibly special joyous moments already and continuing with children, like throwing the children around, having them laugh, you know, being part of them, discovering something new and seeing their joy and excitement, being there for them when they have like tough times and getting them through that. All of that is just kind of soul satisfying, I think, in a way that's Mm -hmm. a lot deeper than a lot of the kind of quote, quote, fun you could have, you know, as a couple or as a person individually. And that's been a lot of fun. And then also like the low moments are low. Sometimes it's just exhausting. And, you know, maybe the surprising thing was, I feel like I'm maybe at the extremes more than I thought. I thought it'd be a lot of like ho-hum moments, but there are Mm -hmm. are a fair number of incredibly joyous moments and then a fair number of like really frustrating moments. It's really a bit of a roller coaster here and there, but you know, the joyous moments, you know, kind of make up for it, of course. And luckily as humans, we remember the joyous moments. We have this weird thing where we have lost aversion. But then we have yeah. like rose-colored glasses for the past. So that somehow helps us survive all this stuff. This is why every parent tells future parents like, oh, it's lovely. Everything's wonderful. And they forget all the other stuff, right? You mentioned one thing that I really like a lot, which is this idea of sort of watching kids experience the world the first time. Like everything is new for them, right? And kids don't have this sort of cynicism that we have as adults where it's like, oh, yeah, we go to the zoo. Okay. Yeah. That's a tiger. I've seen a tiger before. Like I, you know, I know what's something, is there anything in particular that you remember that like observing your kids, observing the world was kind of fascinating or really joyous or something like that, where you're like, wow, my son's first experience with X was really fun. Yeah. Two things come to mind. One is the first time I went to the zoo. We of course had like animal books and we go through the books and be like, that's the zebra, that's the elephant. But it was kind of interesting to reflect like he had just grown up in the city. He was very young. We hadn't yeah. been to the zoo yet. So the idea of these animals was pretty abstract, you know, like it's kind of like your and my ideas of like Pluto or like Saturn, mm-hmm. like, okay, I think they're things. And it was fun. We actually went to the zoo and we brought the books with us and we, you know, pointed them out and he pointed them out. He's like, okay, that's the zebra. And here's the zebra in the book. And I think it was a fun aha moment for him seeing that like, you know, the book is actually describing the real world. And in, yeah. in pockets, I can like, see these real world instantiations of these kind of book concepts and maybe all these books concepts are out there somewhere. So I thought that was kind of an interesting you know, symbolic comparison, if you will. And then one that was very heartwarming for me was that I've always been into bicycling growing up and I really like love getting outdoors and zipping along. And my son, Luca has turned out to be really into biking too. Like we started him off at maybe I think three or so. He really loved mm-hmm. a scooter at two. And then we got him a push bike at three that he enjoyed, but then very quickly he wanted a pedal bike. And so we got him one of those. And after just a few sessions, he figured it out between the balance from the push bike and doing a tricycle at school. And before I knew it, he was just pedaling all over and going so fast that I couldn't even keep up with him running. And we started doing bike rides together. And that was really heartwarming to see my son get the same kind of joy and excitement and kind of zest for speed that I had growing up. And seeing a little bit of myself in him. And that was really heartwarming and just fun. Like I I was starting to be on that kind of dad mode, maybe of like doing activities and even adult activities with my kids. And that was really heartwarming for me in a different way and in a more kind of personal and adult way than kind of like the baby stuff, you know, which I also really enjoyed, but felt very separate from my 
you know, adult life, you know, changing diapers, cuddling kids, you know, teaching them like very basic, you know, physical skills versus like going on a bike ride, which I've loved my whole life. Yeah. It is really fun. Those first times. And as your kids are getting older, that you can start to do activities that you both enjoy, right? Like you mentioned, not just sort of changing diapers or like feeding mushy carrots to someone, but like going on a bike ride is a thing that everyone can enjoy. So I wanted to turn the corner a little bit and talk about what it's like being a company leader and being a father. And we talk a lot about, you know, how much of yourself you have to put into your professional life in order to be successful and to get to where you've gotten in your career. With two young kids, how have you managed your time with them? And then are there any sort of like frameworks or ways of thinking that you've brought into your personal life to kind of make this easier for you? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, one thing that a bunch of people talk about is it's not kind of quantity of time, it's quality of time. You know, like spending three hours with your kids while you're like surfing your phone is like not great, but spending like half an hour with your kids where you're hyper-focused on them can be a lot better than that like long period of time. It, it's a mix because, I mean, I think your children also want you just around, you know, just to mm-hmm. see what mom and dad do. And they want to participate in your real life. They don't want just the imaginary like kid mode of parents. They also want the adult mode of parents with also some focus on them. So one of the ways I think about it is trying to make sure for like a given period of time, I'm kind of doing the things with my kid that I want, as well as doing the other things in life and meeting my other goals. So in some ways I think about it, at kind of a daily, weekly, monthly, maybe yearly kind of cycle. Like not every day am I going to take an amazing trip with my children where they're going to learn something new and make memories for life. But I'm hoping that we do that maybe once a quarter or at least a few times a year of like take an amazing trip together, go learn something new, go experience something new, be very focused on the family, you know, and do that a few times. And then, you know, more on a monthly basis, try to get some interesting like learning activity, something really fresh where we either go somewhere new or do something new. And it really feels like we're growing and learning together and spending quality time. And it's, you know, both focused and for a long period of time, like the whole weekend doing something together as a family or a number of things. Mm -hmm. And then on a more kind of weekly, daily basis, I think it's okay to be, you know, focused on work and other priorities sometimes during your life. But making sure that, you know, the kids know every day that, you know, Papa really cares and Papa's really there if you need him, but he's also doing some of these other activities and then really putting time aside that the kid can know is coming. And so on a daily basis, I try to stop work at maybe six o'clock and just be on family mode, you know, play with the kids, maybe do some like, you know, math and reading workbooks, play Legos, have dinner together, have like chill bedtime. And so that way the kid can always look forward to, I know I'm going to get some dad time after kind of work's done for the day. And then really trying to keep like Saturdays and maybe, you know, much of Sunday kind of sacrosanct of like, this is family mode. We're going to go do something together. Sometimes like do trips on the weekends, really try to like do amazing family time on a regular basis, because I don't think it's necessarily that kids need their family to be there, you know, every moment of every day. And I actually think it's really healthy for the kid to understand that there's multiple caregivers who care about them, who they can rely on and participate with. And that can be at school. That can be like a great nanny or babysitter that they build ideally an ongoing multi-year connection with. It's really great if that's other family members. But this idea that I think sometimes in America, we have this very individual version of the world and even parenting that like the parent needs to be there all the time. 
But in some ways, it's a little bit like being a manager. Like a manager doesn't need to be there all the time, but they do need to know that at all times, the right thing is happening for this person, that they're getting care and attention and they do need to be there a bunch of the time. But, you know, really kind of as a parent, maybe one thing that took me a while to figure out was that as a parent, you need to build planning into your personal life. Like Mm -hmm. before that, I could be pretty ad hoc and, you know, living in the city, you know, relatively flexible lifestyle in general, I could just kind of take it as it comes. And with the internet, you know, you can not have a plan. And then 20 minutes later, you have a plan, (laughs) right? You know, at least if you're, you know, a person or a couple, but with kids, I think you do need to plan out what are they doing this weekend? Who are they doing it with? How am I going to get the time I need? How am I going to give them the focus they need? You know, how are we going to plan this out such that it's going to be really successful? And even like a long time in advance, like my parents just, you know, didn't do the classic thing of like, Hey, what are you doing in a year? <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. Now I'm like planning a year ahead, which I think was also an unlock because it feels a bit weird sometimes, especially planning months and months in advance, but it can really be an unlock of getting you more grandparent time, getting you more deep time with the kids. Another way I think of it is, you know, one of my friends like to say, you know, we're making memories. And I think about it sometimes it's like, when we think back on our childhood, do we think about like every hour of every day? Of course not, right? It's not a question of like, oh, my parents never left my side. You know, it was really more of a question of, you know, I remember learning this from my dad, or I remember this family trip that was really meaningful, or I remember the kind of emotional texture of this moment that I shared with one of my parents. And really, I'm trying to make sure that my kids have those moments, mostly with us, but also like in their lives, that they have these like amazing moments of kind of learning or exploration or different flavors of experience and, you know, really kind of this treasured feeling of like family and connection that permeates these different events and, you know, have these kind of spiky events that at particular moments are amazing and really special. And so I feel like if we kind of satisfy that, we've done the parent thing pretty good and, you know, we can put the the rest of life kind of in between those moments. Yeah, that's a fantastic approach and perspective. Thank you for sharing that. Tell me a little bit about you know, so there's the good, the bad, and the ugly of parenting. And kind of being close with your partner and being in lockstep with them is really important. But there's also these moments where you're not in lockstep with your partner. So I'd love to hear, I don't know, maybe it's a funny example or something that you and your wife don't necessarily agree on when it comes to parenting. I have many of these, by the way, in my own life. So. I think we agree on like a lot of things. We're maybe pretty similar people in a lot of these respects. You know, we also both try to learn like kind of like the modern parenting techniques and not be too kind of negative. Our parenting really try to like open the child up and to share their feelings, all this kind of stuff. And so both of us are always striving to be that kind of parent, which is, you know, a bit new, you know, it's not kind of even how we were raised. So we are always trying to be that kind of like best ideal parent in our minds, even more than kind of our own, where we come from. As far as disagreements, it did take us a while to lock down both the kids' names, like I went back to the hospital a few days later to kind of submit the name and we were, oh, you know, gosh. kind of going back and forth on a few different options. And it's such a big decision, like someone's name for their life. So maybe yeah. that was one place where I'm not sure we disagreed, but we definitely had a bunch of different opinions. We wanted to try to suss out for a little while. And then sometimes there's like a little bit of tension, I think for both of us between do we push the kids to succeed or do we just love them and make space for them? And I think both of us more and more are on the latter side and just love and make space. And I feel like this world pushes kids hard enough. And, you know, I think if we set a good example of, you know, being serious about life, I think 
kids look at what you do more than what you say, you know, like, you know, my kid will come into my little office and be like, I'm working. And I'll like type on my keyboard and bang on things and just trying to like play at working, you know, as dad seems to work and, you know, kids want to do that. And I think that's part of the reason he's into biking. He probably sees my enjoyment of it and Legos even. And so, you know, I like to think that, you know, kids have their own opinions, but, you know, I think sometimes it ends up like Tiger Woods' dad, like, oh, you really like to play golf. And it's like, well, (laughs) you also gave him everything that he could possibly want for playing golf. So I don't know. I feel, you know, one of my learnings as a parent is that, you know, kids pick up on a lot and often we don't have to be as directive as we think. Like the kid knows what good behavior is. You don't have to tell the kid you're acting incorrectly right now because the kid knows they're acting correctly and they're actually doing it for a particular response. And you need to meet them where they are emotionally more than physically or like, you know, in the kind of outward reality. And I think this same can kind of be true of, you know, helping the kid through their kind of life decisions and life paths. So that's one place where Priscilla and I still kind of try to figure it out of like, what's the right road there? And yeah. I was maybe raised more, a little more Silicon Valley and she was maybe raised a little more European, but I think we've gotten to a similar place, honestly, in the end as adults, but you yeah. know, sometimes that kind of, you know, how do you raise kids from this kind of continental perspective is maybe a little different. Yeah, that's really interesting, especially considering your different backgrounds, right? Coming from very different parts of the world. And I think it's also tough in the Bay Area, right? Like there's a lot of very intense and highly successful parents and they're very driven and they want to sort of drive the same success in their kids. I think striking that balance between let's just let them be a kid for a little bit, you know, like you said, the world is going to be hard enough. The world's going to put enough pressure on them that maybe we don't need to do that right now, especially for yours at like age four and age two. They don't need to be speaking six languages at the age of four, you know, or something like that. Well, that's a funny one because my daughter's going to grow up speaking three languages. Like they're in Italy and they do a lot of Italian, a lot of English, of course, and then they're learning French. And so that is one where we're kind of pushing the lever forward. But I think, you know, as far as being super successful, I almost feel like the marker of success today isn't intensity. It's almost a focus, an ability to do deep work amongst all the craziness because I mean, frankly, there's a lot of resources out there for people who like want to do a thing, but, you know, localizing on which resource is important for you and actually going deep on it. Some of the investment advice you hear, which I think is kind of interesting is like, you know, there's lots of good ideas out there, like pick one and just do it incredibly deeply, incredibly thoughtfully, and you'll probably win. You know, there's lots of different ways to be in the world, but being serious about one and optimizing it is what sets people apart today. And so I almost feel like the patience and the space and the adherence to your own center is almost like a bigger gift to a child in today's distracted environment than a sense of intensity and drive because the world actually has that intensity on offer at all times. Yeah, I know that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. And clearly framed by your perspective as an investor and looking at companies and sort of evaluating startup CEOs like your kids, they're all your kids. I want to turn the corner a bit and talk about some of the more challenging aspects of parenting and some of the sacrifices you've had to make. So tell me a little bit about what are some of the things that you've kind of had to give up as a father for better or for worse? Giving up some things can be fantastic, but what are some of the things that stick in your mind that you've had to kind of say no to now that you're a dad? Yeah. I mean, even when I got married, I kind of got rid of my video game console and I was like, 
I don't want to be one of those husbands where you're playing video games all the time. The wife's like, that being said, Priscilla was really cool about it. And she's like, play if you want. And so I actually bought it back and I played it for a few years. Nice. Since then, I've given it up again. And it's, you know, and the, it's a general topic of, you know, one way to think of it is like, as a parent and as someone serious about business, like you, you don't really have time to waste. And yeah. it's not even necessarily, I'm not saying that video games are a waste for people, but it's like, you don't have time to kind of inefficiently kind of do anything. So I find video games to be fun, but they're not a super efficient way of having fun and relaxing in a time manner. Monetarily, they're quite efficient. And I used to love long bike rides, but bike rides are also not a super efficient way of decompressing. Like it can take your whole day if you do a really big one with the prep and the cleanup and everything. So yeah. I've had to give up some kind of inefficient ways of having fun, especially to switch to more efficient ones. And so, you know, for me, that's like maybe doing a Barry's boot camp or like, you know, doing a run near my house as far as workouts go. Hang out with friends. More and more, I really like just having like a group hang, like, you know, 10 of us get yeah. together. And then you see a bunch of friends in like one evening. Whereas if you just do like kind of pairs of couples, you can take a lot longer to kind of see people you care about. And so, yeah. so like, I feel like you have to a little bit give up wasting time. I kind of like that being a parent means that it almost gives like a certain kind of excitement to every moment of life because everything you do has to be better than cuddling a beautiful little person that you love. And mm -hmm. if it's not better than that, it's not worth doing. And so suddenly like, you know, things like just reading The Economist cover to cover, which I used to enjoy doing, I'm like, you know what, I'd rather you to be, you know, cuddling the people I love or doing work that I find really meaningful or learning and growing as a person or exercising or something. But if it's not going to meet that bar of actually being better or comparable to this incredibly joyous activity, then I'm not going to do it anymore. And it's kind of refreshing to have that like bar of quality for kind of every minute of your life. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming, the feeling like, okay, like I have to you know, spend all my moments well, and you have to kind of give yourself a break from that. But it, it's kind of an, a neat default to have, I think. But yeah. it doesn't mean you have to give stuff up. You can't just kind of do whatever comes to mind every day, like the way that you, maybe you could as a single person or as a couple. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that you don't spend three hours doom scrolling Twitter every night with your free time. Yeah, just every other night now. <laughs> I, am, I am an investor. <laughs> it's true. You, do need, you need to be dispensing thought leadership on Twitter regularly now. That's what you have to do. But you're right. Doom scrolling. Yeah. I mean, honestly, there's part of me that's like, how do I help my kid deal with this, you know, mm. in like, you know, flood of information out there? Because some of it's actually valuable. But yeah. I think having discipline in the face of this, which I'm not perfect either, you know, it's that's crazy right. to hear people talk about like five or six hours or even eight hours of like phone time a day. It's just nuts, you know? And no. so, and you know, this is, this world is, it's going to be even more intense when our kids grow up in it, of course, like in 10 years, yeah. like, I don't know what's, you know, with Neuralink and everything. Anyways, there's all these weird, yeah. every generation has a different parenting challenge than the previous one. And I'm still trying to figure out mine. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, that you don't get it perfect all the time. So tell me about what are some mistakes you've made as a father? You know, one thing is maybe not being as serious and thoughtful and to my early point about planning you know to like really get myself the support i need like really realizing that this is a big commitment and making sure that i plan ahead for the kind of support and the time that the kids need that i need that you know all this stuff like again it, it's harder to just like do work and then come home and do family like i think it's more valuable if you spend the time up front to get really great like a babysitter or a nanny or a school 
like something that you're really proud of, that you really think that the kid is actually spending fantastic time with this person or this institution. I think doing the upfront work there is really valuable and we've done that more and more recently. So that's really good investment. Also just making sure that you have the things you need so that you could have like a healthy family life. Like we were kind of anti-car for a long time and we were quite happy to like pop the kid into like a zip car or an Uber. And we did that for a while. And we kind of liked the kind of simplicity of it and the flexibility in some ways. But when we did finally buy a car, when we had the second kid on the way, and I just couldn't imagine a world where I had two kids in cars yeah. in an Uber, then it unlocked a bunch of stuff. Now it was a lot easier just to like have the kid, have like the diapers in the car, just that it was a little easier. And I realized, you know what? There are places in life where, you know, making that investment up front in either, you know, a car or a, you know, a great nanny or maybe a second babysitter. Like I've also tried to now have like a one or two backup people because sometimes you want to do something and the person you love taking care of your kids is not available and you just, oh, I can't do that thing now. And so making sure that you have enough people around that you plan ahead for really good grandparent time or other family activities, you know, having the cousins over, I think that stuff is really valuable. And sometimes, you know, people don't make the investment up front to do it. And, you know, people think they can just do everything themselves. And I think, you know, being a parent is a good forcing function to realize it's a community and, you know, you're not the only person who loves your children. There's a lot of other people in this world who want to have a relationship with your kids that I think can be really valuable for everyone. And so really kind of doing some planning and being honest with yourself about like, how do I set ourselves up for success and be honest with what I can do on a day-to-day basis? I think was one mistake I made kind of going into it. And now we're a little more serious about that. Yeah. That importance of knowing when to ask for help, especially because I think like in our professional lives, many of us that are successful professionally haven't felt like we've had to ask for a ton of help necessarily. And then you realize that yeah, no one is prepared for parenting. And so you've got to have, you've got to have help. But yeah, that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. You know, one of the things that we hear a lot about is this idea about startup hustle culture and this idea of like the grind, right? Like yeah. the founder who works you know, 14, 15 hour days trying to get product market fit and things like that. And I think it's changing a little bit, but I don't think that we've pivoted entirely away from that. How do you find that hustle culture fits in with having a family and things like that? How have you sort of set up your life so that you can work hard and play hard? Yeah. Part of it is that kind of like think about what like daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, like what are those moments you want to get your kids and plan for that? And maybe another analogy to help communicate it is, you know, it's not always been the case that parents were at like nine to five jobs and could even take care of their kid, you know, all the time. If you go back through history, there's a bunch of people where, you know, one parent went away to another country to make money for the family for years. I still know people in those situations, either who grew up in those situations or in them now. And there's some big trade-offs and just not saying it's necessarily like the best thing to be in if you have other options, but there have been, you know, lots of different parenting situations over time. So maybe one good analogy is like an Olympian, right? If someone was married to an Olympian and had a kid with Olympian, like how would they set up their lives? Obviously that person has a big commitment to a very large goal that they want to strive for, but it's also a little bit of a time limited goal. Like the Olympics is every four years. And so, you know, you might not be, you know, committed hundred percent, you know, every day. So I think about like startup hustle culture a little bit like that, where there's routines of your day that you really have to stick to if you want to make it. And then the routines of your kind of like macro life, like on a, I don't know, like three year or five year basis that you have to do to make it. 
And there are going to be periods of intensity there where like work does have to come first. But I think also, if you think about it kind of strategically, there's often like lulls either within a given job or week, or maybe between jobs where you can really go a bit deeper on the family side of it. And I think there's a bit of a strategy of, you know, lining up, doing the work when the work is kind of ready to be done, and then making sure that you get the family time in kind of per unit time such that you really build the kind of childhood memories that you want for your kids. And so, you know, one thing I've had is little breaks between jobs where I'll go a lot deeper with the kids and we'll go on some fun trips and we'll learn some fun things together. And I'll really be super dad for that period or times where I'm at a company and, you know, we've built it up to a good place and we've gotten some great hires in place. And then it's a little more kind of kid mode. And then other times where there's intensity at work. And so I think a lot of it is kind of being strategic about it. You know, some athletes do this where, you know, when they have like a really big day working out, they eat more. And when they have like a light day of working out, they eat a little bit less. And I think it took me a while to realize that you should eat as much as you need, not just the same amount every day. And then I realized that really applies to a lot of life. I think it's kind of the same with kids. Like when the kid really needs you and the job's intense, maybe the job's got to wait. You know, maybe you like cancel that meeting and do it next week and you spend the time you need with your kids. And it's really this kind of thing where it's a variable commitment based on need. And part of the trick is being skillful to understand the needs on both sides, both work and family. And then to actually be maybe a bit more dynamic about moving things around and not having a cookie cutter life every day, every week, every year, that's the same. Having moderation with moderation, as it were, you know, like having really intense work times and really joyful family times where you really make those memories kind of on both sides. And I think if you do that, you come out with a career that you're proud of and a family life that you're proud of, hopefully, you know, knowing that like at different times, each one was absolutely in the number one spot. That's really awesome advice. What you're describing is a kind of like fluidity and flexibility, right? And not being too rigid, either professionally or personally, recognizing what needs to happen, right? And being okay with doing what needs to happen. And that might mean leaning out and into work a little bit more. It might mean leaning in a little bit more at home. But yeah, that fluidity seems really important. And I think when it's written about or talked about, it often is written in such a binary way, where it has to be like one thing or the other thing. Yeah. And it's not what you're describing here at all. Yeah, it's almost like, which is more important, like work or family? And you can have either answer for that. But I think what each side wants to know is like, hey, when I need you, are you going to be there for me? More or less, no matter what, you know, or at least like, you know, at a very meaningful level versus your other commitments that I know you have. Because everyone with the family also has parents. They also have friends. They also have a job, you know? And I think if the answer is yes, I'm going to be there for you when you need me in a very full way, I think you can satisfy more than one party. Yeah, that's great. All right, it's time for rapid fire. I'm going to ask you a question and you are going to say one of the first things that comes to mind. First question, most indispensable parenting product you have ever purchased? Definitely the Duna stroller. It's a stroller that folds up into a car seat. It can also be kind of like a just a baby carrying case and it's amazing. Wow. We use it on the plane, we use it at Ubers, we use it as an actual stroller. It does everything and it's our most loved parenting product. Oh, ringing endorsement. Okay, good. What about the most useless parenting product you ever purchased? Opposite end of the spectrum. I was terrified that we can never leave our child alone without like a SID, sudden infant death sensor on their diaper or their crib. And I think it's probably still a good thing to have, but I really freaked myself out with it. And I later learned that kind of 
for the most part, babies, if you wrap them correctly, and also once they get older, they're going to breathe okay. And so yeah. I, that was kind of an excessive worry thing I realized in retrospect. Yep. Of course, now there is only one right answer to this next question. Which one of your kids is your favorite? I'm going to, I'm going to answer both anyways, but I'm going to give them an order. Like our first kid, Lucas, when he's joyous, he's the most joyous and it's amazing. And our second kid, Vera, is the sweetest. And it's kind of like heartbreaking. Like she'll like bring you a little half of her cookie and stuff. It's like the cutest. Oh, that's amazing. All right. What about the most frustrating thing that has ever happened to you as a dad? I think, I'm not sure that a single instant comes up, but I think the worst days are when you really try to have fun and you're like, this is going to be a fun day and it is a bad day, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, and like bad days are bad days you get through, but like fun days that end up being bad days. You're like, why am I doing this? Why do I try? Yeah. I should just, you know, we should just roll cartoons all day. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to go flip on total cartoon mode. All right. I think I'm going to love the answer to this. Tell me about your go-to dad wardrobe. The thing that comes to mind, honestly, is bringing an extra shirt. <laughs> Sometimes I'll bring one shirt for feeding the kids and then I'll have like another, perhaps nicer shirt for going out after feeding the kids, just because yeah. I know that some spoonful of something will end up on my clothing, you know, during feeding time, especially for the little ones. And so yeah. uh, just the wardrobe is another wardrobe. Nice. By the way, that never goes away. Even my seven and a half year old son, his favorite thing to do is just smear a bunch of shit on his face and then like give you a big sweet hug and like just barely, yeah. And he knows exactly what he's doing, but he's just, you know, it's what he does. So it never goes away. Okay. Did you ever drop one of your kids as a baby? I'm not sure I did. One time we had the kid like on their own kind of just fall off the airplane seat with a thud. And so, and kids survived. I did have an air juggling moment where it was very close to full on impact from like five oh. feet in the air, but saved at the last moment. I'm sure there was okay. some like minor inner trauma that I'm going to have to like, you know, work through from that. <laughs> All right. How about how many parenting books do you have in your house? Probably like 10, including like Kindle books. Also, there's some Instagram feeds that we follow that we send back and forth to each other or mostly okay. my wife sends to me that I really like. Yep. What about how many parenting books have you actually read cover to cover? Cover to cover, like honestly, zero. I usually get okay. like a third of the way through and then I go to the next one. Okay. I'm sensing a pattern here with a lot of the people that I asked this question to. It's a very similar answer. What is the favorite age for your kids so far? I mean, right now they're two and four and I think maybe one and a half. I'm going to be really specific, like one and a half, two and a half. And then four plus so far, like have been really fun because the one and a half to two and a half, they're kind of like babies, but also kids like they're like, yep. ooh, gaga, but they can like walk around and fix things up and do real actions. That is like pretty darn cute. Whereas like the four year olds, I feel like they're kids and also like older kids are like real people. Like they have like yeah. real opinions about things and they can like do semi adult activities, like go for a bike ride with you and like that's a real kick. You're like, oh my gosh, it's this tiny person, but I get it around with them like an adult. And so yeah. those are some of the most fun moments I find. Awesome. What about the opposite? What's your least favorite age? I mean, our boy, when he was three years old, was I think really experimenting with his boundaries and seeing like what he can get away with as kind of more of a real person kid. That was testing. There were times when everything he wanted to do was simply the opposite of everything <laughs> we wanted to do. <laughs> 
And We've so all been there. We could occasionally yeah. like, you know, reverse psychology him, but it was definitely a lot of like, no, you do have to do this. And if you don't do it, I will do this. And, you know, it just felt a lot of, a lot of boundary setting. And that's not the funnest part, but you know, it's healthy yeah. and growthful. And, you know, we got better than his parents eventually. And it seems like he survived. So, you know, you did your job. Yes. <laughs> All right. Yes. Last two questions. Screen time. Good, bad, indifferent. How do you feel about screen time? Screen time, I think there are some different categories of it. Like we have found like him watching cartoons is mostly just bad news. He gets really sucked in and he gets really sad when they get turned off. And so we've almost completely removed cartoons from our life. Like now it's like, I don't know, an hour every few weeks or something. It's like almost nothing. And that's been a lot happier for everyone. I think there are some good learning apps out there. Like one we use sometimes is Homer and it's a, it's sometimes a little bit kind of like watchy, but not in a way that gets them too obsessed. And sometimes there's some really good learning, like, you know, put, you know, everything marked R into this one bucket. And so we'll find all the R's and put them in there. And, you know, sometimes it's basic matching, but then sometimes it's more complicated stuff like shapes and patterns and, you know, there's really a tremendous amount actually a four-year-old can do with some of these things. And it can be really fun for them to learn. So I think it can be hard to find the app that's at the exact right level for someone. It's not like too easy or too overwhelming. But I think some of those can be really great learning and a decent use of their time. And, you know, something they can do independently, which is also, you know, good here and there. We don't watch too much TV. We'll have like pizza night, pizza movie night, but the TV is mostly off. Yeah, I get it. We've started to institute more of that in my house too, with great effect, I have to say. All right, last question. What's your take on minivans? I'm just waiting for someone to build a really awesome minivan and then I will buy it. But at okay. the moment, I just can't get myself to like get into an Odyssey or a Sienna. I don't know. They're just, I'm not a crazy car guy, but I just have a little mental block. Like we drive like a little BMW, like used X1 and it's great. It's really compact, which is great for the city. And it just barely fits the whole family and all of our stuff. And so it's a great little like, micro car for a family, but probably the next one will be electric because, you know, better for road trips and maybe safer. And uh, I don't know, we'll see, but they need to make a, they need to make a nicer minivan. They're all incredibly functional, but I don't know. I just can't get myself. I'm not really a car guy, but I can't get myself to do it. We're a no on the minivan until like Tesla makes one or something like that. It's also a little long for the city. I really like my stuff. It's true. It like fits everywhere. Yeah, the minivan in the city is very challenging. There's some tight turns and navigation you have to do in the city. Okay, well, hey, Darius, thank you so much. This has been really fun. I learned a lot about you, had a few laughs. This was great for the two of us to connect on this. Thank you for listening to today's conversation with Darius Contractor. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, and leave me a review. It'll help other people find this podcast. Startup Dad is a Fishman AF production with editing support from Tommy Heron. You can also stay up to date on my thoughts on growth, product, and parenting by subscribing to the Fishman AF newsletter at www.fishmanafnewsletter.com. Thanks for listening.